Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. This podcast tackles important pulse topics, including market opportunities for your crop, market access and trade policy developments, innovative agronomic practices, transportation for Canadian crops, and a whole lot more. My name is Amber Johnson. I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. I have the opportunity and pleasure of working on SPG's grower communications, but I also lead some of the work we do in market development. And today we're going to break down everything going on in processing, value add, and plant protein in Western Canada, including digging into the processing capacity for pulses currently and where we expect it to grow in the future. We have a dynamic panel of leading experts with us today. Joining me is Julianne Curran, Vice President of Market Innovation at Pulse Canada, Dominique Bowman, CEO with Roquette Canada, Dan Kraft, Vice President of Operations at Merit Functional Foods, and Murad Al-Khatib, CEO at AGT Food and Ingredients. Thanks to all of you for joining me here today. We've brought you all here today as contributors to this processing and fractionation industry for pulses, and particularly peas we'll, we'll dive into today in Western Canada. The Canadian pulse industry has set this goal to diversify 25% of Canadian grown pulses into new uses and new markets by 2025. And this is so important now when we're really looking at and seeing around 70% of Canadian yellow peas being exported to only one country, China, and why the need to diversify markets and uses to protect growers from market shifts and potential trade barriers has ever been so critical. I'm going to turn it over now to my guests here today to introduce themselves, say a few words about the types of pulse ingredients your company currently producing, and maybe mention some of the exciting things happening in the plant protein space for your company right now. So I'll maybe start here with Julianne from Pulse Canada. Julianne, can you give us a brief overview of how Pulse Canada is working to help expand the processing capacity for pulses in Canada overall? Sure. Thanks, Amber. Yeah, so we at Pulse Canada are focused on demand building, growing demand for all the pulse ingredients that are produced from Canadian pulses and companies are processing here in Canada. We really want to grow demand for these products um, because the reality is we aren't using the same volume of pulse ingredients compared to more established ingredients like soy. And so there's a real opportunity here. The plant protein space is becoming increasingly competitive um, with many alternative protein options emerging. So we really want to build demand for our sector to create the why for choosing pulse ingredients. And we've been focused on, on doing this by developing really good sustainability data for Canadian pulses, building data on the quality of Canadian pulses for processing and for fractionation to help um, those companies with sourcing, developing marketing campaigns that highlight why pulses and why pulse proteins are unique. And although it's been a challenge with COVID, we're still working to create more opportunities for processors to engage with and to network with end-use manufacturers. Great. Thanks, Julianne. Dominique, we'll move it over to you now. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Roquette Canada and what you're doing in the pulse processing space right now? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you first for the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, my name is Dominique Bauman. I've been with Roquette more than 35 years. Currently, I'm the CEO for Roquette in Canada, and I moved to Manitoba in the in summer 2019, so very new to uh, to the prairies. So what, what do we do at Roquette? At Roquette, we, we, uh, we use uh, raw materials from plants, like potatoes, corn, wheat, uh, peas, uh, fava beans, and uh, also uh, trees. And we are working with our customers uh, and partners to develop new ingredients for 
for be, for a better you know uh, food for for people and also uh, to better cure the people. So we are really focusing on food, nutrition, and health. Uh, food and nutrition is really uh, uh, being proactive because what we how we feed our body is uh, going to have an impact on our health. And then uh, sometimes we have to cure uh, to cure our body when, when we get sick. So we are we're making uh, we're producing the exceptions from plants. Uh, for the pharmaceutical and nutraceutical industry, so we've been in the in the plant-based protein uh, business for a long time, more than forty years, and to continue to be a key player in this uh, global food, I call it revolution. Rocket has engaged into a, a huge investment program, and uh, this investment program has uh, the ambition to supply more plant protein and uh, sustainable and safe plant protein. Uh, as far as I'm aware, nobody else has such an ambition expansion plan. And this program includes uh, the construction and the startup of the world largest pea protein plant here in Portage uh, in Manitoba. And uh, we are going to, uh, to start this, uh, this business and this operation uh, here in, in Canada. We will also enter in, uh, in organic yellow peas uh, end of this year, actually. And uh, the plant uh, has been in construction for several years, uh, but we started to receive the, the first piece in November, and we've been receiving peas since then, uh, starting up uh, the process one step at a time. And uh, right now, our goal is to uh, finish the startup and the commissioning by the summer and have uh, samples of uh, pea protein to our customers uh, by the end of the summer. So our goal is, is bigger than just building the plant here in, uh, in Manitoba. It's really to develop an, an ecosystem and a circular economy here in the prairies, uh, buying peas and through collaboration with the, with the farmers, uh, organic and conventional peas, then processing the peas to create uh, more added value product like the, the plant-based protein and the pea protein. But then, you know, there was only 25% uh, of protein in the peas and uh, there is starch, there are fibers, there are some other solubles. And uh, we're very proud to, uh, to use everything which is present in, uh, in, in, in the peas. So we are uh, developing a, a business relationship with local farmers who will buy our first product. We have developed a, a unique uh, first product, which has a lot of value for animal uh, animal feed. And uh, we've been very successful uh, with the farmers, the local farmers here in Manitoba and Saskatchewan uh, to sell this first product. So it's really a circular economy, starting with, uh, with the pea producers and then uh, extracting the high value product uh, and then reselling the first product, some of the product locally. So it's really a circular economy, uh, creating more jobs and, uh, and developing the, uh, the pulse uh, market here in, uh, in, in the prairies. Great. Thanks, Dominique. Dan, we'll go to you next. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about Merit Functional Foods and the work you're doing in Pulses? Thank you very much, Amber, for the invitation to participate in this discussion. Uh, my name is Dan Kraft. I'm the Vice President of Operations at Merit Foods. As a Vice President of Operations, I have an opportunity to work hand-in-hand -hand with our operations team uh, who manage our, our facility that we just completed uh, in, in north uh, end of Winnipeg. And I'm also working directly with our supply chain teams 
uh, with the responsibility of working with uh, producers in Western Canada uh, that are contracting both peas and canola. So our company uh, is two years old. And two years ago, we had an idea of becoming a uh, plant-based protein organization. And to, we've gone from an idea to uh, we've just completed a 94,000 square foot facility. Uh, we're just through commissioning of that facility and are now producing commercial food grade pea and canola protein. So we have licensed a uh, patent technology that uh, focuses on the protein extraction of canola and peas. Uh, and we're, uh, we're very excited uh, to be the, uh, the only uh, company today in the world that is producing a food grade canola protein. And, uh, and we're really excited about the, what we're seeing in terms of the quality of our, our, our pea proteins and the feedback we're getting from our customers today. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Now over to you, Murad. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about the work that AGT is doing in Pulse Ingredients? Sure, Amber. Thank you. I'm Murad Al-Khatib. I'm a president and CEO and founder of AGT. Um, so, uh, you know, again, thanks for having all of us, Amber. And uh, we're, we're not, uh, you know, very new to the Western Canadian landscape. So we've been around in July of this year. It'll be 20 years since I uh, founded the company. And we've been involved in uh, processing pulses, uh, you know, throughout our Western Canadian facilities, you know, very strong uh, facility presence uh, here in Saskatchewan. So we do the full range of lentils, peas, chickpeas, and beans. And we, we became involved in the uh, pulse ingredient uh, processing and R&D and innovation side about a decade ago uh, with the building of our food development and uh, R&D center in Saskatoon and, uh, you know, modifying and building uh, processing capacity throughout North America. So today we would uh, we would be very focused on on dry fractionation, uh, the production of protein concentrates made from peas, lentils, faba beans and uh, chickpeas and uh, granulated flours. And of course, the fractioned um, ingredients would include uh, the starch fractions, uh, the fine flours and the fibers. So, you know, in addition to the production of the uh, pulse ingredients, uh, we would uh, today be, uh, you know, among the largest pulse ingredient manufacturers in the world. And, uh, you know, we've also continued down the path of production of uh, further products from the co-streams of the fractionation process. So uh, we're just in the process now of building in Regina a uh, new extrusion factory that's going to be our second extrusion factory in North America, complementing the presence that we have in the United States today. And that, uh, that plant will also include a pilot extrusion plant in addition to commercial production for the production of texturized protein, uh, extruded flowers, and uh, also gluten-free extruded snacks, pastas, and uh, extruded products. So, you know, we've been, uh, you know, quite successful in the development of yellow pea-based and other pulse-based uh, uh, texturized pulse proteins. And uh, that has been, uh, you know, quite an active area for us in terms of the uh, meat analog sector and, uh, you know, also into the whole extruded side. In addition to uh, production of ingredients and extruded products, we've also launched brands as well in North America, including Veggie Pasta, which is a 100% yellow pea-based pasta, which is now being sold in Europe, uh, in Canada, in the United States, Turkey, and Japan, you know, at retail, uh, into food service. And also, it's found its way quite strongly as a gluten-free, heat-resistant pasta into frozen meal applications. So very excited about the potential. And, uh, you know, we definitely see the pulse-based ingredient revolution 
you know, continuing. And uh, we were proud that we were at the you know forefront of, of starting that revolution here in Western Canada. Great. Thanks, Marad. And thanks for everyone for that, that great overview. Next, I want to talk a little bit about capacity and, and we'll turn our attention to pea protein specifically. This is the one, one of the questions we get a lot from, from industry. So let's dig into the capacity of pea protein processing now and, and on the horizon for each of your companies. Uh, we'll start maybe with Julianne to provide an overview of the current and anticipated capacity for Canada as a whole. And then I'll turn it over to Dan, Dominique and Murad to fill us in on their current capacity for pea protein production. What kind of expanded capacity might be on the horizon and their timelines to ramp that up. So I'll turn things over to Julianne first. Sure. Thanks, Amber. So under our 25 by 2025 strategy, we have a 1.1 million ton target set specifically for peas. And we'd like to see at least 700,000 tons of this target being met through incremental pea ingredient processing in North America. So with about 500,000 tons of this incremental processing of peas happening here in Canada. So there's a, a couple different analysts reporting on current pea processing. Um, I've seen one report that estimates there's about 500,000 tons of domestic use of peas here in Canada, um, and that's roughly doubled um, in the last five years. And so really, um, you know, we're, we're on track to meet our our target here, but really feel that building demand for these pea fraction ingredients will ensure that all of the existing processors are operating at capacity, but it also encourages even more processing of Canadian peas to come online because we, we think there's um, opportunities beyond what current capacity is, is estimated to be. Great. Thanks, Julianne. Uh, maybe I'll send it over to Dan next to tell us a little bit about the capacity at Merit. Yeah, when, when we, we built our facility, uh, we're seeing very strong growth uh, in the pea protein business. And so we, we said when we're, when we're building our facility, let's, let's think of it as a three-step, three three-phase approach to, to in terms of capacity at, at merit. So today we're at, we're at phase one. So uh, what does that mean? Phase one, we have capacity around 30,000 tons of pea and or canola at our facility. Uh, and what we, what we've done is we have the capacity in phase two to move to double that capacity with our existing footprint in a, in, in the actual asset. We just need to add equipment, and we'll be moving that to about sixty thousand tons. And then we have uh, some uh, some space just north of us, like adjacent to our building. And then we would be going to phase three, and that would get us to hundred to one hundred twenty thousand tons. So we we see the growth, and we know that when we're partnering with with customers, they want a partner that they can grow with. And so we have a three-phased approach in terms of how we're going to grow our business with our customers. Great. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Dominique, we'll maybe send it over to you next. Can you speak uh, about Roquette's uh, capacity now and in the future? Yeah, so phase one capacity will process uh, about 125,000 tons of, uh, of peas. So these can be conventional peas or organic peas. So that's a capacity for one year. Uh, now we have uh, also a second plant in uh, in Europe, in France, and uh, you know combined uh, these two plants uh, have have a, a very large capacity. I think it's the largest in the world. So for um, uh, for portage, uh, we we have designed the the footprint of the plant uh, so we can double the capacity. So all the infrastructure is, uh, has been designed so we can double the capacity to, uh, to 250,000 tons of peas. So we think uh, 
that uh, the market is, is growing really fast and there will be a, a very high demand. And uh, especially with, uh, with people moving, uh, not going to vegetarian diet, but more uh, what people call flexitarian diet, really a, a balanced diet. And, you know, I'm new to, uh, to Canada and to the prairies, but I think the prairies have uh, a very, very big opportunity to become uh, called the Silicon Valley of the plant-based protein. Uh, and the pulses, uh, pulse growers have, will have a, a big role to play. Uh, it's amazing how the, the farmers are welcoming uh, companies like Rocket. You know, five years ago, nobody knew Rocket. We have hired uh, a group of agronomists and raw material buyers, and they were able to build the relationship very, very quickly. So the farmers in Saskatchewan and Manitoba are very eager to also try new techniques and uh, techniques uh, which are uh, allowing them to to really add value to their to their crops. So this is really uh, exciting, and uh, so far uh, very excited to be here in uh, in the prairies. Thanks, Dominique. Murad, can you tell us a little bit about your capacity at AGT in North America? Yeah, I think that uh, you know, uh, Amber, when we when we look at uh, at uh, you know the market segments, uh, you know, we would you know take uh, a lot of what we're doing in pulses, you know, as actually ingredients. So when we're we're actually uh, providing pulses to the uh, canning, the retail packing, the you know the extrusion markets, the you know all of the kind of segments, you know, kind of what I would call beyond the India, China, bulk, uh, you know, commodity sectors, you know, th- those ultimately still are, are going for further processing and for some sort of ingredient use. And so when we look at that, you know, our North American footprint today would be around 1.25 million tons of production. And uh, that would be scalable to around one and a half to 2 million tons. So, uh, you know, in terms of, of that, you know, uh, footprint capacity, we've got you know, 18 manufacturing and processing facilities are located throughout Western Canada and North Dakota and, you know, plans on, on continuing to expand those footprints, you know, both in uh, Regina and we have a new uh, value added processing center and a handling center near Saskatoon uh, at, a, at a little town called Delisle, which is going to be a major consolidation point for us. And, uh, you know, we, we do see ultimately, though, a segment of that market kind of call more the deep value added, you know, which would again be that fractionation and uh, an extrusion markets. We're focusing a lot of attention on, you know, the concentrates and the flowers. And, uh, you know, again, very complimentary to my uh, colleagues uh, who are, you know, focusing a lot more, I think, on isolates and, and that. So, you know, the market segments are quite different. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we believe as well that the monetization of the starch uh, fractions from processing, you know, beyond the feed markets are going to be a major part. And this is where, again, you know, extrusion and snacks and pastas and and uh, and those types of applications, you know, have been a strong focus for us. And process engineering around that extrusion has been something we focused a lot of attention on. So ultimately, you know, that capacity is currently around 200,000 tons in uh, Western Canada, and uh, we're expecting that to continue to scale as we continue to move along. Excellent. Thanks, Brad. And thanks, everyone. It's really, truly exciting to hear of all of these plans to kind of increase capacity over time uh, right here in our own uh, backyard, as well as just over the border in, in North Dakota as well, Murad, really contributing to this value add sector, you know, right right here close to home. 
Uh, next, we've touched on it a little bit uh, in this previous question, but I really want to talk about opportunity. We hear a lot about consumer products like Beyond Meat, which we know uses, of course, pea protein in their meat analog products. But there's many other opportunities for, for pea protein and other pulse ingredients. I'd like to hear from each of you, what are the market categories that really stand out to you that you believe provide a big opportunity uh, right now or, or as we look forward on the horizon? We'll maybe start with Julianne on this one. Sure. Yeah. I think that Murad, um, you know, raised a, a good point that the, there's opportunities for ingredients beyond just the protein, um, you know, just with this whole sort of plant-based movement. And, and so opportunities for whole pulses and, and, and the other um, ingredients from, from them, like flowers, et cetera. But when we're talking specifically about pea protein, what's interesting is currently the largest category for volume use is actually dairy alternatives. And so I think there's still opportunities for continued growth in this category, you know, for more plant-based milks and cheeses and yogurts. Um, but there's also a lot of opportunity in the meat alternatives category. And that's the one you hear a lot about, you know, because of products like Beyond Meat, but also in the bakery category um, as well, which is, is an interesting one. Um, the current volume of soy protein ingredients that's used globally in the meat alternatives category is about 700,000 tons, roughly. Um, and that's just the ingredient, um, not the whole seed. And so what's interesting is um, soy protein use is on a downward trend, but pea protein use, although the volume is, is substantially lower um, than that of soy, it's headed upwards. And so this category of meat alter alternatives, I think, really presents an opportunity for us as you know, companies looking for alternatives to soy um, are... Um, seeing pea as, as an option and other pulse proteins as an, as an option. Um, but this category itself is predicted to grow quite substantially. And so that creates even more opportunities for pea and other pulse protein ingredients. There was a recent report by Ernst & Young that was commissioned by PIC, and it estimated that the global demand for just peas alone to be used in the production of alternative meat products um, is estimated to be anywhere from 10 million tons. Um, and that's the conservative estimate in 2035 to um, over 17 million tons under a more optimistic scenario. So there's a really great opportunity, um, you know, for Canada to capture here um, in the meat alternative space, as well as these other categories and to become a leader in supplying um, to this industry. That's a great overview. Thanks, Julianne. Uh, Murad, maybe I'll send this one over to you. Where do you think some of those big opportunities lie? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll echo uh, Julianne's comments. I mean, the uh, the meat analogs, uh, you know, is, is quite a general space. I mean, we've got the, you know, texturized uh, pulse protein uh, possibilities. But, you know, where we also see some very strong opportunities is in the uh, what we call HMMA, the high moisture meat analogs. So, you know, again, very different technology where you're actually, you know, creating uh, something that would be very much like a fresh, you know, meat that is uh, that is uh, competing on the plant based side. But I definitely want to, you know, kind of focus a bit more on the bakery and extruded uh, product side. You know, we see, again, you know, very strong opportunities as uh, companies are looking for, you know, alternatives in terms of both protein fortification, natural bleaching, non-GM ingredients, uh, you know, bakery blends. So, you know, again, uh, when you start to look at these opportunities, we got to start realizing that we're looking at high inclusion opportunities. You know, again, uh, you know, it, it's nice when you have all these different uses. 
but you know we need ones that create volume and you know an inclusion rates at one or two percent you know will take a long time to make a, a volume impact on a grower you know in saskatchewan whereas when you're talking about let's say the you know uh the sun chips veggie chips that we worked on yellow peas was ingredient number one on the deck or if you look at you know the new cashy keto cereals that were launched in the u.s three of the top four ingredients are pulse-based uh, ingredients. So when you start to get to that point, you start to have volume. So bakery and extrusion, meat analogs, you know, are, are, are certainly uh, opportunities. I think that the non-dairy beverage side, you know, again, uh, you know, companies like Ripple in the U.S. have done a great job in, in getting retail distribution, which gives them, you know, again, strong reach, um, you know, strong opportunity to continue as people are looking for nut-free you know, uh, and uh, non-GM ingredients to go along with that kind of, you know, clean label, non-dairy alternative. So, you know, those are all what I would consider to be, you know, strong, exciting opportunities. But we've got to be very cognizant that we got to attack the flavor profile. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our biggest issue with inclusion is the fact that, you know, peas have the strongest flavor. And peas have a natural challenge of a bitter, strong flavor in the ingredients that are produced naturally. As you get into the more isolate processes, you've got a lot more, you know, modification. So you get rid of that a bit. But certainly on that clean label ingredient side, Amber, which I view as the big opportunity on the natural ingredients, you got to attack the flavor profile naturally. Great. Those are some some great insights, Murad. Thank you. Um, Dominique, we'll, we'll go over to you. Where are you seeing um, some interesting opportunities right now? Oh, definitely. I mean, just jumping on uh, Murad's uh, points, uh, definitely we'll see more meat and fish analogs. Right now we don't see uh, much uh, fish analogs, but uh, with the weight exclusion, there is uh, technologies which allow really to, uh, to do this uh, uh, meat and fish analogs uh, from, uh, from pea protein and pulses. And, and also, uh, there will be definitely a big growth in the plant-based dairy markets. And, and I totally agree with you, Morad. The taste is is a challenge. Uh, even uh, isolates our process. You know, is does not use any any chemicals. Uh, we use uh, water, and definitely the beanie taste from the peas uh, when it's extracted naturally. Is, is a challenge and uh, and this is a big uh, research program on our side to have the a neutral taste for for pea protein some some of the maybe uh, call it next frontier for pea protein could be uh, could be blends with other pulses like uh, you know uh, fava beans for as an example because blending uh, isolates uh, will allow to uh, to get uh, an improved nutritional benefit uh, because uh, the different pulses and the different uh, plant-based proteins do not have the same amino acid profile. So uh, we could envision some uh, some blends uh, which will uh, improve the nutritional benefits of the of the, of the products. And then uh, you know we were starting to see uh, some uh, demands on the. Uh, not only dietary uh, and sports uh, nutrition, but also in uh, clinical senior nutrition and also baby food. There are some requests. The trend for plant-based proteins are, are coming into uh, baby food uh, and also senior nutrition. So that's these are probably some uh, some areas and market we, which we will see um, for which we will see a, a big development also. 
Excellent. Thanks, Dominique. Dan, over to you. Any additional opportunities that you want to shed some light on? I just uh, wanted to reinforce the point that uh, we, we've talked about in terms of, I mean, customers are demanding more plant-based proteins in their diet, but they don't want to sacrifice that with poor taste. And that's really a lot A lot of the focus that Merit uh, has been working with our customers is improving the taste of, of, of the products that have pea and or canola in them and also improving the nutritional profile of those of those products. And it's uh and, and when you do that, it's it's incredible the response we're getting from customers. Areas that we've been working with customers are in the meat alternatives. Uh, we work in with a number of customers in terms of plant-based milk. Uh, you'll notice on the shelf, you'll see a lot of plant-based milks. But if you look at the protein percentages in those, in, in those milks, it's, it's quite low in the, in the number besides soy. And so we've been working with a number of customers to see what they can do to improve the protein inclusion rates without sacrificing taste. Um, we've put a lot of effort in uh, the plant-based cheese market, and we're seeing a, a fair bit of success in that area. And a lot, a lot of time on on the baked goods and protein bars are, are really those are four segments that we're having success working with customers. Uh, our R and D teams are working with theirs to come up with products that taste great but improve the nutritional profile uh, to to their end customer. Hey Amber, could I add one thing, please? Uh, just. I think we also have to make sure that growers understand one thing. It's not always plant-based or not plant-based. I mean, there's a very material opportunity for blends, you know, as as, uh, as Dominic said as well. But, you know, to go further, one of the biggest opportunities we see is is uh, meat extension and, you know, meat, you know, that there's a number of opportunities, not only for cost reduction using plant-based ingredients, but also fat and calorie and cholesterol reduction. So, you know, when we look at, you know, a, a plant-based uh, burger, 30% plant-based, 70% meat or 100% burger, you know, we achieve almost a, a meat-like taste without a, a sacrifice, yet you're looking at a calorie reduction in the range of about 22%. You're looking at a fat reduction at that 25%. And you're looking at a cholesterol reduction in that 15 to 20% range. So, you know, I want uh, growers to be thinking about inclusion of uh, plant-based ingredients as parts of everyday foods. It's not an either or. And I think that's if we get successful at that, Amber, our market size grows exponentially because we're taking ourselves out of the plant-based uh, movement, which, again, is big. I mean, we're all living it. But I, I like to also get into the health trend side, which which, uh, you know, Dan was just talking about as well, improving the nutritional profile, you know, and cost and, and, and all of those things kind of mixed in one mi mixing pot. Sorry to, to come back, but I wanted to add that. No, that's a that's a great point, Murad. And, and music to my ears, I do a lot of outreach on the market development side to the food service industry. And blends is definitely a major topic of conversations, especially in the non-commercial segment, looking at university and college dining, healthcare, um, business and industry, you know, they're looking at, of course, cost savings, but also ways to kind of pad that nutritional profile. But the underscoring piece to all of that is it has to taste good. So I love that taste came up uh, in all of your answers and, and making sure that that end product is something that consumers want to go back to. It's great to promote trial, um, but repurchase is, is ever more important. So um, taste at the end of the day is, is what is king. 
I, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here and, and talk a little bit about projects and partnerships fostered through Protein Industries Canada, or PIC. Um, we've mentioned them a little bit already. Um, they are one of Canada's five innovation super clusters that connect the private sector industry partners to create co-investment projects that have potential to transform the agriculture and food production sector here in Canada and specifically in Western Canada. This innovation supercluster allows Canada to secure our position as a global leader in the production of plant-based products. So I'm going to turn it over to each of you to tell us a bit about um, the goals and hopeful outcomes of your respective PIC projects, because um, each of you actually have um, some projects on the go. So Murad, maybe we'll start here with you. AGT has a couple projects happening through PIC, one with Ulevit and another with Lucent uh, Biosciences. Can you tell us a bit about each of these projects? Yeah, I'll start. I'll start with the uh, Ulevit project. Uh, now that is kind of a two-pronged project, very focused on you know utilization of uh, plant-based ingredients in the production of extruded product. And so you know, again, we've been focusing on texturized pulse protein blends, uh, functionality, uh, taste profile, and uh, also the utilization of you know other ingredients, uh, natural ingredients that can improve texture and, uh, you know, improve mouthfeel. So, you know, that's been, you know, very strong focus of that, including the high moisture meat analogs extrusion, uh, you know, process. The Ulevit side is really interesting. Uh, we were able to partner with a, a, a woman-owned uh, entrepreneur, uh, Laura Gustafson. She's an absolute dynamo. And she's been working uh, with our team on the production of, of uh, pea and faba bean and lentil-based tofus. And so, you know, again, for both the retail market, for the food service market, you know, the production of, you know, proper textured, you know, great tasting uh, tofu, uh, you know, alternatives, we end up with a non-GM product, you know, great nutritional profile. So Laura has been a great partner there. On the Lucent Bioscience side, very fascinating project focused on the industrial uses of byproducts. So we're actually taking the pulse-based starches and the pulse-based fibers that are byproducts of our protein fractionation process. And we're actually using those in a, in a system to make micronutrients available in the soil. So these are actually used as carriers of micronutrient systems. So using a natural biomass ingredient or a byproduct from pulse processing, you know, we're able to actually kind of encapsulate and keep those bionutrients more available for growers, showing great results on, you know, peas and lentils and canola, but also showing some very promising, you know, applications around uh, vegetable production, uh, greenhouses, and, and others. So, you know, I think we've got to open our minds up beyond just the food to recognize that, you know, feed ingredients and uh, industrial uses, again, are big volume uses, Amber, which we need to support the protein demand. So that Lucid project will uh, develop the system. We're, we're uh, actually now into, you know, uh, industrial production. And uh, ultimately, we hope it will result in AGT building a micronutrient uh, plant actually that will deliver those products to Western Canadian farmers. Very interesting. That that's really exciting. You know, we yeah, it's as important as some of these downstream things that obviously help build demand, but also to give back on the farm is is really exciting as well. So that's that's awesome to hear. Dan, we'll go to you next. Can you tell us a bit about Merit's project with Petura Seeds and Winning Combination? Definitely. Uh, in January 2020, we were extremely fortunate and, and grateful to receive uh, co-investment from Protein Industries Canada 
uh, really to facilitate growth in, in, in our company. And uh, we're just uh, grateful from the funding we received to date from PIC. And we know that innovation is going to be a catalyst of growth in the industry. So um, whether it be meat alternatives, dairy alternatives, we're, we're focusing on how do we improve the taste of our products and the nutritional profile uh, that our customers are demanding. So uh, we, 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 our, our projects to date have really focused on that in terms of how do we improve taste, aroma, texture, and the, and the overall nutritional profile. The two projects that we have uh, that I can talk to uh, are one with, with Batura Seeds, uh, who are actually cleaning the seeds for us. Uh, they're a fantastic partner to be working with, as well as the winning combination. And in terms of uh, our work with Batura, it's really what we're trying to do is better understand the variables that are affecting uh, the protein quantity. So the percentage of protein that would be in a pea, um, as well as the quality uh, in terms of the quality of the protein that we'll, we'll be processing. And we're looking at variables like genetics. We're looking at weather, geography. We're really just trying to understand you know, what, what information we can have at our fingertips to help support in terms of the, 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 uh, the type of peas that we're bringing in uh, to our facility. And so it's, it's more of a, uh, you know, we're, we're learning and we know this is going to be more of a long-term play, but we need to understand um, uh, how, how we source our ingredients to be, uh, to produce the best protein out of our facility. With, with respect to the winning combination, uh, we're, we're really uh, working with them uh, with both RP and canola proteins and really testing the functionality of, of these proteins in a number of their uh, supplement products. Uh, and, and then they're giving us feedback in terms of the stability of the taste and how, and how well they are in terms of a fit. Thanks, Dan. Dominique, we'll, we'll go back to you. Can you tell us about Roquette's partnership with Prairie Fava through PIC? Yeah, we have a consortium with uh, Prairie Fava. Uh, Prairie Fava is uh, uh, supplying a high quality uh, fava beans. And uh, like I mentioned before, uh, one of the opportunity uh, for future growth is, is blends uh, between pulses and, uh, and plant-based protein. So this is exactly what we're, we're doing together is uh, first try to address some uh, of the nutrition and development challenges uh, for peas and uh, favas on the prairies, and also uh, exploring uh, the blend opportunities uh, with uh, with pea and fava protein products. Thank you, Julianne. Uh, Pulse Canada is also finding opportunities uh, through partnership and, and leveraging uh, with PIC. Can you share a bit about where you're seeing opportunities there for Pulse Canada? Yeah, we've recently partnered with PIC, and actually AGT is a partner on a project. Um, to develop more evidence on um, or in support of the safe use of pulse ingredients in pet food. Um, this is a really important market for the pulse industry, and, and there's significant volumes of peas going into pet food applications. Um, another project we're in discussions with PICON is related to some of the regulatory challenges facing the pulse processing industry. These regulations put our ingredients at a disadvantage when we're trying to market them as a source of protein. So um, the projects we're talking about with PIC are really meant to address concerns um, that regulators would have and, and thus expedite the path to regulatory modernization. So those are just a couple examples um, of projects sort of in the works now. But um, I just say that Pulse Canada sees a lot of alignment between areas of research that we've identified that are needed to support growth and build demand for the pulse sector as well, or alignment with our priorities and, and those of PIC in their innovation strategy. 
Great. Thanks, everybody. And some very exciting projects, it sounds like, across the board. And also great to see these, these partnerships forming to really strengthen that value-add sector here in Canada. I'm going to turn things around now and really look to on-farm considerations. So we know in some cases when procuring peas for use in pea protein fractionation, for example, there may be some additional considerations for growers to keep in mind as they approach production or when considering grain contracts. So what should growers know about working with your individual companies and what should they keep in mind if they're interested in selling their peas into pea protein processing? We'll start with you, Dominique, with Roquette. Yeah, thank you. Actually, you know what what we request uh, as a specification for the peas we're buying from the farmers are requests from our customers and and are basically requests from uh, all of us, from uh, the consumers. So we uh, at Rocket, we work directly with the farmers. Uh, Like I said, we have a team of uh, agronomists to support the farmers and also of uh, a team of uh, raw material buyers. And uh, we offer what we, what we call full production contracts with a premium to the, to the farmers, uh, which means you know, we, we will buy, when we have a contract with a farmer, uh, we will buy all the peas produced by the farmers as long as it meets the specification for, uh, for the contracted acres. So our protocol includes uh, the use of certified seeds uh, no pre-harvested glyphosate. Uh, we also request the completion of an uh, environmental farm plan. And then we also ask for two uh, traceability reports. So traceability is very, very important for our, our customers. And we negotiate the price directly with a, with a farmer. Now, any farmer who is interested uh, can contact us also uh, on our website. It's called growwithrocket.com. Uh, so anybody is welcome to... Um, uh, to contact us. For conventional peas, uh, we're looking at Manitoba and, uh, and Saskatchewan. For organic peas, which we are uh, contracting this year, actually, uh, for the first time, because we're going to do our first campaign in the uh, end of the year of uh, organic pea protein, uh, we'll go uh, all areas. We're not going to limit ourselves to, uh, to just uh, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. So we we also uh, so we're buying uh, number two yellow peas, and like I said, we have some uh, specification regarding no pre-harvest uh, glyphosate, and also no soybeans. Uh, very important uh, for our customers. Uh, our pea protein is uh, non-GMO, um, so, and this is a request from a lot of our customers. So. We are uh, requesting the, the growers uh, to, uh, to avoid uh, growing peas uh, two years prior to the production of, uh, of peas. Uh, then we, we also uh, obviously test uh, and uh, uh, test for peas in the, uh, when we receive the peas, uh, then we have uh, you know, uh, equipment in the plants to, uh, to reject the, the soybeans. So very, very particular about the soybeans. Um, and again, you know, we have uh, we offer opportunities for conventional peas, but also organic peas. Excellent. Thank you. Murad, over to you. What should growers keep in mind uh, from AGT's point of view? I think I think we certainly have to recognize that this is not the commodity market that we're dealing with. So ultimately, you know, when we look at, you know, the traditional marketing of peas, it's, a, it's been about uh, you know, focusing on things like yield and, and uh, you know, general quality. But we were dealing with markets like India and China 
And so, you know, ultimately, when we look at now the the true food uses, you know, as Dominic is saying, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, a single, you know, soybean contamination can lead to product being rejected by the customer. You know, I think that uh, that growers have to be a lot more in contact with their company that they're dealing with, understanding maximum residue limits, MRLs. You know, we've just had an incident, uh, you know, recently with Paraquat. Paraquat, uh, you know, into, let's say in the North American MRL, uh, everything is usually fine. But as we get into markets like Japan and uh, and the EU, the Paraquat uh, requirements are much lower on the MRL than what we would see in the North American market. So, you know, you've got to have a lot more dialogue about, you know, uh, pesticide uh, residues. You've got to have a lot more dialogue on on uh, on your management practices. I think ultimately, as uh, as Dominic said, it's up to us as the industry to deliver the value proposition to the growers for all the extra effort of management. You know, uh, taking tools from their toolkit, meaning like. Glyphosate is an example. If we're going to take them from their toolkit, we got to make sure that we're communicating effectively, we're paying a premium, and we're giving them a marketing option that they're not getting from the commodity market. Otherwise, ultimately, you know, we've got to recognize the pulse acres are mobile. They can actually move to faba beans or lentils, or they can move to another crop, or growers will push their rotations if we're not able to be competitive. I think traceability and uh, sustainability are two areas where growers are, are increasing their sophistication level. And Amber, I see a great opportunity on digital agriculture with the ability to use sensors and data collection, you know, to be able to not only have an environmental management plan, as Dominique has mentioned, uh, that they have and, and many of us have now, but truly a linkage into that, into the identity preservation, traceability, sustainability, and the carbon intensity. So this ultimately in the future will be something that I believe companies will pay for. And, you know, we've always kind of said we had to wait for the consumer to pay for it. But we have to recognize that the food companies themselves are being pushed by retailers and they have their own ESG, you know, their environment, social and governance targets that they have to meet. And so, you know, in my mind, uh, carbon intensity and sustainability on the farm will ultimately link into ESG satisfaction of goals by food companies and retailers. So, you know, what I'm saying, Amber, is it's being pulled back one step back from the consumer, where I hope that food companies will be willing to pay for some of those management practices. And then ultimately, that's where, you know, we have to work hand in hand with the grower. So, you know, it's an exciting time. It it seems like a lot of effort today. But I want to remind growers that when the Chinese government takes a unilateral step on market access or the Indian government puts in non-tariff or tariff trade barriers of 66% tariff, what happens to their market? It's gone. So there's effort in everything. And the effort in this new frontier that we're plowing here, no pun intended, is uh, you know ultimately an exciting market that if we can get it right, it will never go away. It will just grow. Absolutely. Those are great insights and considerations. Thanks, Murad. Dan, over to you. What should growers keep in mind from Merit's perspective? Well, I, uh, I can echo a lot of the comments uh, from Dominique Murad um, in terms of, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to extract the most value on the P acre. 
And what that means is we're listening to our customers in terms of what what they need. And there are requirements in terms of uh, being soy free, being non-GMO. And so that requires things that are, that are different uh, versus maybe if the product was being exported to, to China or to India. Um, so we are working and building a system where we have complete traceability. So when we sell a 20 kg bag of pea protein to a customer, we need to be able to trace that product right back to the farm. It came from this farm. We have to be able to do that. So th- there are some requirements. And then they say, well, on that farm, can you tell us a little bit about their farming practices? Can you tell us about, uh, do they have soy soybeans in their rotation? Can, how, how confident are you that this is uh, soy-free? So we do have requirements on rotation because uh, we're trying to minimize the risk of gluten, soy on uh, in, in the products that, that we're, we're providing for our customers. And we know it's different. Uh, and, and we're working with producers um, in terms of understanding those differences. We are extracting more value on, on that acre, but there are some changes in terms of farming practices and we appreciate it. And And I, I imagine that over the next five, 10 years, those requirements will change a bit. Uh, and we're committed to working with farmers to understand what does that mean in terms of uh, what, what farming practices and how can we work with them, but ultimately to find that win-win for ourselves and the grower. Thanks, Dan, and, and thanks everyone for, for some great food for thought for our growers to keep in mind as they consider market opportunities for their, their crops moving forward. We're going to close out here and ask uh, just for some final words from everyone. Is there anything basically that you want to leave our grower listeners with as you look towards the future of pulses and plant protein in Canada? And we'll let Dan kick things off with his final words. Perfect. Uh, this is an exciting market, uh, and we're really excited about uh, the growth opportunities for ourselves. But I mean, our success is going to be dependent on partnerships. Uh, it'll be partnerships with customers, and we have incredible end use customers that are being transparent with us in terms of what their needs are, and we're being innovative with them so they can bring products uh, to market that uh, really meet the needs of their their customers. There's also partnerships with our growers in Western Canada, uh, and, we, and we will be asking people to do things differently. But I, we uh, we appreciate, um, you know, this is our first year in contracting with growers, all that they've done to help support uh, our business. Um, but we're, we're looking for long standing relationships with, 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 with growers so that we can grow together on the, with, in extracting as much value on that pea acre. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Murad, over to you. Any final words for the growers? I, I think, Amber, uh, you know, what, what I want to say is, uh, you know, we, we've all been through a lot together as as the growers and processors like ourselves who've been around, uh, you know, slugging it out with them to build the market. And, you know, we're now at a pivotal uh, turning point and, you know, initiatives like the, you know, 25 by 25, so 25 percent of our production by 25 to be value added. I can only remind growers to look at the canola story and see what the domestic crushing industry did for the canola markets to recognize the potential of what we're dealing with here. So, you know, I think I want to say to our growers, you know, again, we've built something pretty exciting. There's a foundation here. Now it's, it's up to us what we do with that foundation. But, you know, this potential will bring out a lot of what I would call pretenders as well. So I want to urge our growers to, you know, get to know their companies, you know, companies like uh, AGT and Merit and Raquette 
have put significant money into bricks and mortar in communities around Western Canada. We're all here to stay and we're building the industry with them. And so, you know, get involved, get educated, you know, understand what you're getting into, but stick with it. Because I, I do think that this is our future. And, you know, imagine again being a canola grower, only providing canola seed to the whims and the and the mood of foreign leaders protecting their domestic farmers, or imagine being a, a, a grower that has domestic options. That's what we're going to have in, in, in pulses. And that, I think, is the, uh, the ultimate reward that will come with, uh, with committing to this initiative. Thanks, Murad. Uh, Dominique, over to yourself. Any final words uh, from you? Yeah, I totally agree with uh, Murad and, and Dan. I think the future is very bright for the first growers here in Canada and for plant-based protein in Canada. We have uh, here in Canada, the, especially Saskatchewan and Manitoba, we have the opportunity to lead the world in the plant processing uh, area. It's it's uh, like Murad said, you know, we're building the base. All uh, our three companies have uh, are still investing a lot of money, and uh, we're uh, building the foundation of a very strong plant-based protein uh, industry in uh, in the prairies. It's not only brick and mortar; it's important, but also we're building teams. And I was worried when I moved to uh, to Canada and to Portage uh, that we would be able to find. The, the skilled workforce we need to run such plants, and uh, you know, I was uh, I was uh, very uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, we hired 120 people and uh, uh, great people, very diverse background and good skills. So, um, thanks to to the schools available in uh, in, in Canada, so we are building a, a great team. We're building great relationships with the farmers. Like I said, you know, uh, I didn't know the farmers. Yes, the farmers were asking new uh, practices from the farmers, but they are, they are ready to take it on. And I think it's it's all uh, to our benefits here and in, in, uh, everybody in Canada to uh, to keep the, the peace here in Canada and, and create value-added products uh, in Canada and not be at the, at the mercy of, uh, of tariffs, like Morad said. Uh, which uh, which can have a disaster impact on on our farmers. Thanks, Dominique. Julianne, over to yourself. Any final words uh, from you or from Pulse Canada on this topic? Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Amber. So I guess I would just have to add that even though uh, Canadian producers may not be seeing the impacts directly of this increased demand that we've um, been experiencing for pulses, it's really important to note that this demand um, has been has been really growing. And it's quite fascinating to think that, you know, 15 years ago, there were only a few companies in the world that made ingredients from, from pulses. And that really the only value-added products that were being sold in the grocery store were whole canned and dry pulses. Fast forward to today, Pulse-based products are found in virtually every single aisle of the grocery store. Um, so that that's a huge accomplishment. And, uh, you know, I know there's more work to do for that demand to be recognized by, by growers. But we've had, you know, we talked about the injection of PIC funding into the sector over the last few years. But 
before that, there's been a lot of Canadian pulse grower investments into research um, over the last 15 years related to creating demand and interest in pulses, highlighting their advantages, the ways that they can be used in non-traditional applications. And a lot of that research has got us to where we are today. And, you know, we are still making significant progress, you know, to seeing Canadian pulses being used in, in high value, high volume, stable markets. And I think it's, it's going to be um, you know, a continuation of partnerships um, between growers and processors and producer associations and Pulse Canada to, to work together to build the sector. Thanks, Julianne. Great point. And, and you're exactly right. You know, this is a long-term game for producers to, to benefit in the long run. And, you know, these, these changes don't happen overnight. And there's been a lot of work that a lot of uh, people have done over the long term, especially on the research side, to get us to where we are today. And, and uh, I think a very bright future ahead for sure. I want to thank everyone for your time and joining me today for this great discussion. We definitely believe that that future is bright for Saskatchewan and Canadian producers of pulses and how they'll really feed the world in the long term with plant protein. So make sure to keep your eye out for emails from SPG. We will be launching nominations for our board of directors starting on June 14th. There'll be three board seats open for nomination and election. So if you are interested in learning more about how you can get involved and be a part of the strategic direction of Saskatchewan's pulse industry, please go to saspulse.com and click on the board election button. Thanks for listening to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the Google Play Store to automatically get new episodes as they come out. And stay tuned for our next episodes where we'll dive into topics including what's going on in the field for this season, as well as weed management strategies for pulses in future episodes. Thanks and have a great day.